Uh, This morning, I want to look at why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? And we're going to unpack that a little bit. But if you have your Bibles, uh, and I hope that you brought them, and you have it in some form as a, on, the, on, your, uh, on your phone or the way that uh, Jesus carried it, leather-bound with uh, tabs. Um, now, some of you might actually think that, so let me correct you that that isn't exactly the way it happened. But, uh, but we want to look at Romans chapter 3. It'll be on the screen. I'm reading from the New International Version. If you have a different version, we all will gather at the same place. So uh, you uh, follow as I read, and again, it'll be on the screen. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that when we gather here each Lord's day and we open it in our homes in the morning and the evening time, Lord, we are inviting you into uh, our lives to speak to us uh, and to uh, pour into our life uh, your word and your, your will for our life. We thank you that, Lord, we uh, hold and have a preserved Bible, a preserved scriptures, Lord, that we can come to with confidence, God. We can come to with a sense of... Uh, Lord, of knowing, God, that you have protected and overseen your word and worked through individuals and lives throughout thousands of years and preserved your holy word, that we can open it up today in 2018 and hear afresh your voice and and read these words. And Lord, they're still... Uh, they're still relevant. They're still truth. God, even though we stand on the shoulders of saints who have gone before us, Lord, we come to this word, Lord, to speak to us afresh today, to remind us, Lord, of your precious death and why that is so vital, Lord, for us as believers, not to just know about, but to know God, the uh, behind the scenes and what, what went on in, in the corridors of heaven, if we can catch a glimpse of it and have some understanding of the cross of Christ. So, Lord, as we gather this morning, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as we look at why did Christ die, uh, that is... Uh, that's such a vital uh, question, and it, and it isn't talking about um, why did Jesus die, or why did uh, why did uh, Jesus uh, need to die, but but again, 
what is behind the fact of all the things that we think, couldn't there have been another way? Couldn't there have been another path that God could have used besides the crucifixion of his son? And as we talk about and have understanding of the gospel, you can have no understanding of the gospel if you do not understand the cross. And not only just understanding the cross, but not understanding it in a kind of a sentimental way where we, you know, we just kind of have, we know that Jesus died for our sins, and that certainly is crucial. But what is behind these words that Paul wrote in this, uh, in this, this, uh, this letter to the Romans that is so rich and probably is considered one of the greatest um, expressions of the gospel in articulating the uh, purposes of God in Christ as the book of Romans is, and the emphasis that he makes upon these verses here that are so important. You know, I always hesitate when somebody says, or even I'll say it, these are the most important verses in the Bible. Well, every verse is important in the Bible, all right? But there is so much uh, truth here. There's so much uh, that is pregnant with the truth of God that we want to take a little time this morning, and we're just going to look and unpack part of this this morning. What were the divine motives behind the cross, the death of Christ? We can never understand the Christian faith if we do not understand the cross of Christ, if we don't understand why the cross and the gospel, and I'll use those things interchangeably, why that is so central to who we are and what we believe as Christians. Um, We will never understand the cross until we see and have some understanding of God's hand at work in Jesus' death. And so this morning, we want to delve a little bit into the depths of the cross and see how God's plan, his purposes in the person of Christ are unfolded here in these few verses. And so we want to investigate what happened in the cross or on the cross from God's point of view. Why did Jesus have to die? Why was it necessary for Jesus to die to give his life? And there's three areas that we'll look at, but this morning, as I said, we're only going to look at the first one uh, for time's sake, and that enables us to unpack it a little bit. And this is a little more, um, uh, you know, I want to give you a little understanding of some theology here. Theology is not a dirty word. It's what you believe. Everybody's got a theology. Theology is what you believe about God. And so sometimes when we address a little more weighty subjects, there's a hesitancy, at least maybe just with me, is, is you kind of want to pull back from it. But I think sometimes that is part of what is wrong in the church in America is that we're a mile wide and an inch deep. And I'm not, again, going to fill all the blanks in, but uh, I would just encourage you to, to listen, to uh, have something. I always encourage you, hopefully every week I try to do it, is to bring a copy of the Scriptures, bring something to write on, actually anticipate that, one, God may speak to you, anticipate that you might learn something about your faith that is important. Uh, a lot of times people say, I have trouble studying the Bible. Well, this counts. That's what we're doing. We're studying the Bible. And as your shepherd, that's uh, one of the most uh, privileged uh, things that I have uh, to do. And I I take that responsibility carefully. And I want to be like Paul when he said to those Ephesian elders, when he said goodbye to them, uh, whenever that is, uh, you know, I want to be able to say that I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel 
of God's Word. Not just cherry-picking little favorite topics, but I want to declare to you the whole counsel of God's Word and for you to be students of the Word of God and especially in understanding the cross, understanding the gospel. And that way, when you see how the gospel is under assault, even by so-called Christian churches or, or, or individuals or writers or whatever, is that you'll be able to recognize that that is not what the truth of Scripture teaches. And usually the big guns are always aimed at the person and work of Jesus Christ. When you look at cults, uh, whether it's Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or some other so-called cult group, you'll always recognize because they have a false understanding not only of the person of Jesus, but actually what Jesus did, what he accomplished on the cross. And so that's why, again, to be students of the Word, to be disciples, to be like those Bereans in Acts who verified, remember when Paul preached to those that church at Berea, uh, that he commended that they didn't just take everything he said at face value, but they verified what he said by themselves going to the Bible and checking it out. So be, be students of the Word, and God will honor that, not only in your life, but I believe God honors that in our church. So this morning, as we investigate what happened on the cross from God's point of view, why did Jesus have to die, Uh, the first answer I would uh, point out to you in Romans chapter 3 in verse 25, and this is where we'll spend the majority or all of our time here this morning, is number one, it was to turn away God's wrath. It was to turn away God's wrath. Look at verse 25 uh, in your Bibles. It won't be on the screen, but just look in your Bibles. The NIV said, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. The ESV uses a word that I think is really important. It's just a little bit of an awkward word because it's not something that is part of understanding. And so the NIV uh, translated it sacrifice of atonement. But in the English Standard Version, you'll see it says, whom God put forward as a propitiation. And I have it up on the screen there so you did not think I was cursing. Propitiation, all right? And uh, that, that's, a, that's, again, that's, a, that's an important uh, word in Christian understanding and in theology. Uh, and so I want to use that word to unpack some things uh, concerning how that the understanding of why Jesus had to die was to turn away God's wrath. And as I have a couple of bullet points there real simply, is to understand propitiation. Go back, sorry, keep that other one up there. I'll go back to that in a minute. Is to, real simply, it, is, it means to turn away wrath by offering a gift. Now, this is not certainly to the level of understanding uh, as we'll look at here this morning, but let me try to make a human analogy, Ben, that when you were in the doghouse with your wife and you have maybe not done something or said something or whatever, uh, you want to provide propitiation and you will maybe pick up some flowers or take her out to dinner and you want to offer a gift offering, right, to appease her wrath, to turn her wrath uh, into mercy, Right? All right, a couple of marriages there. I think we've got to do a marriage seminar. So we offer a gift to turn away wrath. She's a tough woman to live with. I'm just letting you know that now, all right? No, she's too merciful. 
But propitiation in a, in a religious context is not necessarily the, the concept, okay? I'm not saying, please don't under, misunderstand, I'm saying that this came from paganism or anything. But a lot of religions have this concept in their religion. Um, uh, you met those of you who have been to Haiti and some of the, the other, but I'm just thinking of Haiti as a, as a reference point where animism and voodoo and those type of ritualistic witchcraft and demonism are practiced. That uh, in many uh, in many homes they will have a basin in front of their door in front of their house that will have uh, blood in it, and that means in order to protect them against the demonic gods, they might have sacrificed uh, a chicken or some animal and left its blood in that basement as an atonement, as a as a way to turn away from the wrath of of, of these evil demons or something. Now, certainly Christianity doesn't have any part of that, but I'm just trying to get you the concept in your head, okay? The concept for our understanding biblically, uh, and again, we're not going to look into it, I'm just going to kind of hit the high points, is back in Leviticus 16, where we see see the, the concept of propitiation in the Jewish uh, ceremony of the Day of Atonement, okay? That's in Leviticus 16. Make a note of it, and you can read about it later. But I'm going to give you the cliff notes of trying to understand that, or at least connect it to our understanding of why Jesus had to die, and that was to turn away God's wrath. And immediately when I use the word wrath, uh, you don't really see a lot of popular books out in the Christian bookstores in the, in the front section of the store that talks about 10 days to unpacking wrath. Um, uh, instead of every day is a Friday, every day is a wrathful day. You know, wrath is not a positive. Y'all okay in here? Again, if you sit on me, I'm just going to talk longer, so smile and nod and pretend you're listening. But wrath is not a popular concept, right? I mean, as a pastor, it's like, oh, can't we do something else? But yet, you cannot read your Bible and have any understanding of the nature and character of God and the work of the gospel without a proper understanding of the wrath of God. The wrath of God means of, of God's wrath against sin, against sinful people. If you've been here on Wednesday nights, you under, we are, are, are learning and understanding about the holiness of God. And especially this past Wednesday, when it talked about how sin against the holiness of God and the, and, and the separateness of God and why that is such a big deal in understanding the character of God and why you're like, God, couldn't there be some other way that you could deal with sin? Couldn't you just give us a pass? Couldn't we just get a mulligan? You know, couldn't we just somehow other way? But why did Jesus have to die is rooted, at least in some part, in this understanding of propitiation and specifically in the ritual and ceremony of the Day of Atonement. Now, let me just give you some... Uh, in fact, let me go to the next slide, and I'll come back to this. And here is a, a definition here that maybe helps round it out. Propitiation means that the cross, bearing our sin and our guilt... The cross, propitiation means that on the cross, bearing our sin and guilt, Jesus faced the wrath of God instead of us and fully paid on our behalf the debt we owed to the broken law of God. At Calvary, Jesus made it possible. I'm going to read that again because we'll see that unfold here in Romans. At Calvary, Jesus made it possible for a holy God 
to be favorably, favorably inclined toward us, even though we were guilty sinners. God dealt with the problem of sin in the only way that could satisfy his holy justice and enable him to save a people who deserved only judgment. Now, we'll, pa- we'll unpack that a little bit more in a minute. But, but on the Day of Atonement, here's what is going on here, and you can change the slide back. On the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament in Leviticus 16, the high priest once a year would enter into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. Now, in that Holy of Holies, in that inner sanctuary of the tabernacle, that was where the Ark of God was kept. And inside the Ark of God was a copy of the Ten Commandments or the Law of God. And so in Leviticus 16, it describes more than I'm going to give you today of this uh, uh, ritual uh, in detail. But the high priest would go in there once a year, and he would go in all by himself, and it can only be done on the Day of Atonement, no other day. And on this Day of Atonement, the high priest would take off his regular clothes and put on a sacred linen tunic. And he would go in and he would sprinkle inside that Holy of Holies, he would sprinkle with the blood of a of the goat sacrifice, the lid, the top of the lid would be sprinkled, the top of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant would be sprinkled with blood. And that lid, which was made of gold, was called, anybody want to guess? The mercy seat, okay? Now remember in the Old Testament, Colossians helps us understand this, is all that we see in, in the Old Testament are p- photos or pictures and all these, on all these rituals and, and areas in the Old Testament as pictures that are fulfilled in Christ. Colossians and Hebrews kind of help understand that. And so we see that this blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. Now what's inside that Inside that ark was the law or a copy of the Ten Commandments. But once a year, the priest would sprinkle the blood of a goat that was sacrificed on top of the ark or the mercy seat, the lid. And by the sprinkling, now here's this, this is important here. By the sprinkling of the blood, the sins of the people were covered. We sang earlier, uh, covered. Right? We sang that earlier. Uh, it's so wonderful. We sang that song, and I didn't tell them in advance. And some things Sean said further confirmed uh, some things we'll look at today. But all it did was cover, okay, the people for a year. It didn't take away any sin. It didn't do away with any sin. It just covered, covering by means of blood. That is what is called atonement, the sacrifice And here's propitiation here. The sacrifice of blood, of a blood sacrifice, turned away the wrath of God for a year in Leviticus 16 of what the Day of Atonement was about. Now, why is this important? How does this connect? It's because God's justice, God's holiness, His very character demands death as the ultimate punishment of sin. You remember when God gave the word to Adam in the garden? He said, uh, if you violate and eat of this tree, surely you will die. The wages, the earnings of sin is what? Is death. Those who violate God's law 
Death is the penalty. Death is the penalty for violation of God's holy law. And so the symbolism of the Day of Atonement where this sacrifice turned away the wrath of God, that's a picture of propitiation, but that will connect it to what is in Romans. During the other days of the year, now here's the deal. Uh, During the other days of the year, when God looked down from heaven... He didn't see blood on the mercy seat. He saw what was inside the ark, and that was what? The law of God. And that had not changed. The problem with sin had not changed. Again, it was only a temporary remedy, but the problem of sin and the problem of the standard of the law did not change. The Ten Commandments or we say the law of God, stood as a testimony, not for us, but what? But it was an indictment against us. But on the day of atonement, God saw the blood of the sacrifice that, at least for that year, until the next day of atonement, covered the sin of the people Israel. Uh, Even go back beyond that. Remember where we get the word Passover? That God said, told uh, the people of God there in Egypt to apply the blood above the doorposts. That when the death angel uh, there in Egypt would come and that the, the people who had the blood over the door, that God would pass over and they would not be struck dead. So we see this blood sacrifice. Even go back, and, and Sean uh, alluded to this earlier uh, in, uh, when he was uh, leading us in communion, is even in the, uh, the garden, when Adam and Eve, we call it the f- fell. You know, they didn't trip necessarily and fall, like the commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up, even though that's a good, that's a good sermon title, right? Every time I hear that, I think of, anyway. You don't know what I think of, but anyway. But what did God do? They, before, when God made them, the Bible says they were naked and unashamed. And when they tried to cover themselves, God said, who told you, right? Who told you you were naked? Who told you? And then, of course, the dialogue there. But God did not leave them with their, temp, with their attempt to cover themselves. It says that when they, when they were expelled from the garden, they were covered with the skins of animals, Where do you think the skins of animals came from? Is that not a picture of the very first blood sacrifice that would show, would demonstrate, would be a picture of the consequence of sin, that death is a consequence of sin? They were covered with these animal skins. Now, that's really kind of, let's be honest here. That's really kind of bizarre in our 21st century. We don't, you know, we just don't think in those terms. But you cannot understand the, the, the depths of the gospel in Christianity, unless you understand the, 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 the uh, progress of what God is doing all the way from Genesis to Calvary and ultimately to the coming of Christ. You've, all these things uh, were intended. Remember, and I, always, I love this, in Luke 24, how Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, came on those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and it says that as he was kind of going back and forth and they didn't recognize who he was, uh, that uh, uh, he showed them beginning with the law and the prophets, all those things concerning himself. What are the law and the prophets? We, we call it what? We call it the Old Testament. 
Wouldn't that have been a great lesson? Wouldn't you like to have that on DVD? How much do you think you'd pay for that? 16-part series of Jesus teaching the Old Testament. Five million dollars. Hey, you know, sign me up, right? I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful to have Jesus walk through and say, you know, the, I mean, it would just be wonderful. So the point is, is that this is consistent all the way through the progress of the Old Testament. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem with the sacrificial system. And the problem ultimately what went on with the Day of Atonement, here's the one problem. It was only temporary forgiveness because it was based on the blood sacrifice of animals. It only covered temporarily. It wasn't permanent. But yet, we know, fast forward, we know what the writer of Hebrews says in speaking about the permanency of Christ. Hebrews 10.4 says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It was only a temporary measure. It was only symbolic looking forward to the finished and completed work of Christ. You see, what we do is, as New Covenant saints, we, don't, we, we look backward to Calvary. Old Testament saints, by faith, looked ahead to that Messiah who would come and be the serpent crusher that God promised in Genesis chapter 3, who would be the one who would give his life and be the atonement. Now, did they understand all that theology? Probably not. But by their actions and by obeying God by their actions, they were in essence in a small measure looking forward. Of course, we have a greater revelation today, don't we? We have Hebrews and we have Colossians. We have all those things that unpack the Old Testament. And of course, we have Jesus. That, that, that's, that's good, right? It's good to have Jesus. And it unpacks and gives us understanding that they didn't even have in the New Covenant. So every year, the high priest would go in and he would do it all over again. And if he died, another high priest would take his place, and he would go in every year on the Day of Atonement. There was, here's, here's what I want you to hear from this, and why I'm kind of backtracking there in order to move us to Romans, is that the Old Testament system, it did not provide any permanent forgiveness. Hebrews 7. Now, there have been many of those priests... Hebrews 7, 23. Now, there have been many of those priests since death. He's talking about the old system. Many of those priests since death, that pre- death prevented them from continuing in office. Now, it doesn't seem to... I, I was watching the news where they've got some dead politicians that are... Somebody's still spending their money. Did you see that in the news? You know, Channel 10 had that, so that didn't... Re- <laughs> but as far as the priests, they couldn't continue in their ministry. Why? They died. They were gone. So another one came in. And another one came in. But he says in verse 24 of Hebrews 7, but because Jesus lives forever, contrasting the old with the new, because Jesus lives forever, he has, Jesus has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, because it's a permanent priesthood, doing those symbolic actions of the priest, therefore he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to intercede for them. Unlike the other high priests of the Old Testament, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins. Do you realize those priests in the Old Testament... 
They had to first offer atonement for their own sins. Why? Because they were sinful before God. But Jesus as our high priest does not need to do that. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Now let's go back and get our thoughts around back in Romans chapter 3. Remember, propitiation, it's turning away God's wrath, pictured in the Old Testament and fulfilled in Christ. So here's our connection with Romans. Remember, why did Jesus have to die? And the first thing that we're looking at this morning, the only thing we're going to look at this morning, is that Jesus, Jesus had to die in order to turn away the wrath of God that was intended for us. That's why he had to die. That's why it was necessary. So when Jesus died on the cross, the blood that he shed was like the blood on the mercy seat. Except this time, it wasn't temporary. It was permanent. It was eternal. And so when Jesus hung on the cross, and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, all the wrath of God was poured on Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And God, if we say it this way, turned his back on his son because the wrath of God that was intended for us, Jesus received the full measure and the wrath of God because he became sin for us. That means all your sin... All my sin and the sins of the world were poured out on Jesus. Here's a way that I always kind of remember, and it doesn't really complete the definition, but we talk about propitiation. All my sins were pitched on Jesus. So you say, what propitiation? Just say, they were all pitched on Jesus. And because of his eternal sacrifice, God's anger at sinful human beings. Do you realize the Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day? Well, what about the love of God? Well, what about it? God is love. I mean, First John says God is love. But in order to understand the love of God and the grace of God, we've got to understand the balance of, of Scripture. And see, if we're just all love, 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 God loves you, again, what we, can we, and I'm just asking this, is there a danger that we're miscommunicating that it really doesn't matter how you live? It doesn't matter what you do, because ultimately when it's all said and done, God is like a cosmic Santa Claus, and he just welcomes all those that will come and sit on his lap. There's no judgment. There is judgment. Now, we know as a believer... We know Romans 8.1. What is Romans 8.1? Some of you should know this. Yeah. There is therefore now. Now, who's that written for? That's written for believers, right? There's no condemnation. I stand under no condemnation. But outside of Christ, I am the object of condemnation. I am the object of God's wrath as one who has, as Sproul said in his series that we learned uh, in the last several weeks, that I have, through Adam, I have committed cosmic treason. Against God. Why? Because Romans 5 says that when Adam sinned, I sinned. 
to call the death of Christ a propitiation means that God's wounded heart is now satisfied with the death of his son. The demands of the law that we could never meet were satisfied by the sinless propitiation sacrifice of Christ. We studied and looked at Isaiah in December. Let me read you this scripture that clearly points to Jesus in Isaiah 53 with this in mind. Okay, that this isn't just a bunch of isolated thoughts. Listen to this, Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, with propitiation, turning away the wrath of God. Listen to Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, with this in mind. Surely he, looking at Messiah, surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, our sins, the punishment, punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That scripture is more about our spiritual healing before God than about physical healing. And I grew up in a setting where that was always the go-to verse of promise of healing. Now, do I believe healing is possible as under the rule and reign of Christ? Is like, yeah, I don't have any issue with that, but I'm just not sure that that's what that is saying. Because it doesn't do me any good to be free of cancer if I go to hell. Right? I need healing. I need a heart transplant. So as we kind of circle the airport and get ready to land, why did Christ have to die? Why did God have to do it this way? I mean, you know, if it was me, right there we talk like fools and putting ourselves in as if we could be a holy God. Just listen for me. I'm almost done. Because God is an infinite God, of infinite holiness, all sins committed against him are infinite, eternal in magnitude. Only a gift, propitiation, only a gift of infinite value could turn away the infinite wrath of God. Only, now here, this is where it gets really interesting. Only God himself, well, who could do this? Only God himself, in the person of his son, only he could make that gift. Now think about this. God provided the very thing that he demanded. And you and I, want to still piddle around in trying to earn God's favor with this fact. And that's what Paul says in Romans, the latter part that we'll look at more in the next coming weeks. Look at 25 and 26 in your Bible. God presented Christ as a propitiation, sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, It's to receive by faith, trust in Christ, that we receive it. We believe that what he did, I receive it from me. He did that for me. He did this. Why? 
to demonstrate, to show what? His righteousness. If you want to see proof of the holiness of God, you need not look beyond the cross of Christ. Because it was the holiness of God that demanded the sacrifice of Christ. Why did he do this? He did it to demonstrate his righteousness, or put in holiness. Because in his forbearance, God had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. They were only temporarily covered. But verse 26, he did it, did what? Presented Christ as a propitiation. Why? To demonstrate, to show to the world his holiness or his righteousness at the present time, and here's the phrase we want to just leave with, so that he could be just and yet be the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. So here's the genius of Romans chapter 3, 25 and 26. Here's the genius of the gospel. Here's the wonder of propitiation. Stay with me. The offended party, the offended person is who? God. The offended God offers, he offers the gift. Who is who? Jesus. He offers the gift that turns away his own wrath. Thus, making it possible for guilty men and women to be forgiven. You see, when we say that salvation is all of God from beginning, middle, to the end, that's what we mean. What do you contribute? Here's what you contribute. Spurgeon said it best, your sin. That's all you contribute, my friend. Quit peddling around and thinking you're going to drop into church and turn away God's wrath against you, and somehow that's going to work. Or you're going to tip God a little money on Sunday every once in a while, and that'll, that'll buy you some grace for a while. You cannot do anything. You cannot do anything except bow the knee and receive and say, I'll take it, Jesus. I receive it. I trust in what you did. I receive that. I could never do that. And so therefore, if it's all based upon what he has done and my role is just simply to exercise faith and trust, then that tells me or leads me to a logical understanding is this, is that if he has done this for me, then there's nothing I can do to release myself of this covenant of security that he has done for me. And we call that the security of the believer. I believe in the security of the believer. I believe those who have genuinely trusted and have faith in Christ are eternally in in, in their security in their covenantal relationship with Jesus. I believe that. You know why I believe that? Because the Bible teaches that. Read Romans 8 sometime. The cross is the place where grace and wrath come together. The cross is where grace and wrath come together. And when we come to God through Christ, 
we come, and hear this, we come to a gracious, friendly Father and not to an angry God. If God was eternally angry in rejecting us, he would have never given us Christ. But because of God is love, and because God is grace, and because he is merciful, he has provided the very means that he himself in his holy character requires. He provided what we couldn't provide. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21, so that, so that, see we know the first part, God made him who to be no sin for us, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. I love what 1 Peter 3.18 says, for Christ also suffered, 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus is the righteous, I'm the unrighteous. Why? The NIV says, in order to bring you, bring me to God. Can't get to God except through Christ. Jesus did that to take me, if I could use the language of just, I think of Galatians where it speaks about the law. And it calls the law was never intended to save us. Read that somewhere? I paraphrased it a little bit. But it says the law in the Greek was a tutor to lead us to Christ. A tutor, and the Greek word that I can't pronounce, I can see it in my head, but I can't pronounce pedagogy. It's the word we get, uh, uh, was it, it pedagogy? You're a smart person. Pedagogue, pedagogy, you know, pedagogue. Huh? Thank you, sir. All right. Yeah, see, I'm glad we got smart people in this church. Um, It was meant, it was a Greek, you know, that a rich family hired like a nanny to take care of their kids and, and take them and lead them to school. That's the phrase Paul uses there when he says the law acted as a tutor to lead us. Where was the law leading us? Leading us to our need for Jesus, for Christ. What was the purpose of the law? It wasn't to save us. We can never meet the demands of the law. James says, you blow one point of the law, you're guilty of the whole thing. But the purpose of the law was God's holy standard. And that law was to take me by the hand in mercy. Even the law was merciful. God could have just left us clueless of what his standard was. But because he gave us the law to take us by the hand... And lead us to Christ, Peter could say, the righteous for the unrighteous, to take you and bring you to God. My friend, if that doesn't grip you, not because I said it, if that doesn't have a sense of, God, forgive me of all this sense of trying to earn and do things to somehow bend your favor, when all I have to do is just understand that Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Ashley is going to come and lead us in our closing this morning. About 220 years ago, there was a man in England by the name of William Cowper. 
and he struggled with severe bouts of depression. And at one point, he became extremely distraught, suicidal, fearing that he was under the wrath of God. And here's what he wrote. Just put, hold your stuff from like the end of class. You know, I hear the notebooks going. So just listen. This is important. The Holy Spirit just might bless you with this. Here's what William Cowper wrote in his distraught fear that he was under the wrath of God. He was a believer. But how many of you know believers struggle? I do. You ever struggle with whether God loves you? I say, well, I know he loves me, but does he like me? Yeah, he does. He likes you. William Cowper wrote this under distraught and fear that he was under the wrath of God. He said, I flung myself into a chair by the window and there saw the Bible on the tablet of the chair. I opened it up and my eyes fell on Romans 3.25 which says of Christ whom God has made a propitiation through through faith in his blood. He said, then and there I realized what Christ's blood has accomplished and I realized the effects of his atonement for me. I realized God was willing to justify me and then and there I trusted Jesus Christ and a great burden was lifted from my soul. Now here's where it gets good. Looking back on that day, William Cowper, he wrote a hymn. And we're going to sing that hymn. And the first verse of that hymn says, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty state. Let's stand and let's sing that to the glory of God this morning as Ashley leads us. this morning you know it's always easy when you're familiar with people and you know them to make assumptions that their heart is right with Christ but this morning as we sing this as we close in this I want to invite you yes I want to extend a call for you to embrace and receive Jesus into your life not talking about membership 
is talking about a life and a heart. That if your heart has been stirred in any way and you do not know that relationship, if you do not know with with 100% certainty that if you were to die within the hour of when you left this building, that you know with certainty that you would be forever in the presence of Christ. And if you can't answer, if Jesus were to receive you, and he, will, he would welcome you into the heaven, but he would ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? On what basis? And you say, well, I was in Grace Church, and that Pastor Tim, he was a good guy, and I just thought I would make it in. That's not going to cut it. Well, but I was christened and baptized as an infant. That doesn't cut it. There's only one answer. Only one answer. And that's because you, Jesus, paid my sins. You provided what I could never provide. And it's only because of what you have done on Calvary that I have any basis to stand in your presence and live with you forever. If that's not part of your answer, my friend, you probably do not know Jesus Christ. And you do not and cannot rely upon any assurance that when you draw that last breath, whenever that will be, and the Bible says our days are numbered in his book. If you're not certain, this is a good place to be certain. And then when we sing this hymn, I want to challenge you. I don't do this, do it very infrequently. But I want to challenge that if that's you, I want you to, I want you to walk up here and I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray with you this morning. Not that my prayers are going to make you a Christian, but I just want to pray and say, I rejoice that today you made things right with, your, with God. Listen, if you cannot walk and stand for Jesus in this place where everybody will be excited and joyful to see you respond, if you can't stand for Jesus here, my friend, you will never, ever do it when you walk out and drive out on Sleepy Hill Road and go to your way. Don't kid yourself. This is a safe place of people that want to rejoice. Let's sing one more time. I invite you to come.